Voy to Yemen. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset clause. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotrahora. U.S. Treasuries rally on the back of further weak economic data. The company that owns luxury brands Yves Saint, Saint Laurent and Gucci sues Alibaba and alleges that it encourages the sale of fake goods. And China anticipates a bumper week for IPOs. The more our community understands the uh, differences of people and respecting those differences, I think uh, we probably will have a much more harmonized uh, community and uh, a community that will be able to generate more uh, benefit for everyone and also uh, improve our productivity. That's Dr. York Chow, chairman of the Hong Kong Equal Opportunities Commission, speaking to Money for Nothing's Peter Lewis at Community Business's inaugural LGBT Workplace Inclusion Index Ceremony. We'll talk more about that with Fern Nye, CEO of Community Business, and J.P. Morgan's Celine Tan. But before that, we'll have our regular Monday look at the U.S. economy with our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. And Peter Lewis is here as guest host today. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Juanita. So, Peter, it looks like there's going to be a lot of Chinese IPOs listed this week. Uh, How have they performed so far? Extraordinarily well. Um, Since January the 1st, 2014, a total of 225 companies have IPO'd in China's um, A-share market. The mean performance since IPO is 418%, and all but two of those IPOs have gone limit up on the, uh, the first day of trading. So the market cap for those 225 companies is now over 500 billion US dollars. They're quite expensive, though. The average PE for those companies is 92 times um, earnings when earnings growth is just 4%. And if you take the 15 companies in the software sector, they're now trading on um, an average EPS of 311 times earnings. My goodness, more uh, bubbly stuff to look forward to, perhaps. (laughs) All right, well, Caring Group, uh, which is the owner of luxury brands Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent, is suing Alibaba in New York over claims that counterfeit goods are being sold on its Taobao platform. Peter, can you tell us what's going on here? Well, this is a recurring problem for Alibaba. And in fact, just last week, they were fined in Taiwan, 240,000 Taiwan dollars, and banned from the island for six months for violating investment rules. This latest um, allegation comes from uh, companies such as Gucci and uh, Yves Saint Laurent, which allege that Alibaba encourages and profits from the sale of fake goods on its platform. Now, Alibaba, in response, says it does everything possible to try and um, stamp out on the selling of fake goods and doing checks. It works very closely with the companies concerned, and it says that Caring Group will be better off trying to work with Alibaba to stamp out these practices than launching um, costly legal action. 
All right, thanks, Peter. The U.S. dollar fell for the fifth week in a row, its worst performance since October 2010. Yields on German bonds rose for the fourth week in a row, and 30-year Treasury bond yields rose at the beginning of the week and then dropped the most since early January in the final two days of trading. With U.S. economic data at the end of the week disappointing investors, many are pushing out expectations of a Fed rate rise to September or beyond. Chairman of Ritzel wealth management, Barry Ritzholt, gives his assessment. I don't think this temper tantrum really looks like last year's because it's becoming increasingly clear the Fed wants to, after six, almost seven years of zero, they want to start normalizing rates, maybe not bring them up to four or five percent, but they're telegraphing us that one or two percent is not going to damage the economy. Stocks in Hong Kong ended the week on a positive note as rumors circulated that the Stock Connect scheme would be expanded to include the Shenzhen Stock Exchange <clears throat> earlier than expected. Shares in uh, Hong Kong exchanges and clearing closed up 5% on Friday, while the Hang Seng Index closed up 0.9% for the week. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite added 2.4% for the week, while in Shenzhen, stocks surged 7.5% over the course of the week. Around 20 IPOs are due to be launched this week, soaking up 3 trillion yuan of capital. All right, let's bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Peter. So, Barry, Friday's economic data out of the U.S. made for disappointing reading with uh, consumer confidence a long way belong, below expectations and uh, growth in manufacturing output falling 0.3%, the fifth, uh, I think, straight month of declines. Is U.S. economic growth stalling? No, not in my view. You know, I don't have a crystal ball, but um, I look at the stock market as the most persuasive indicator of confidence, and we have touched record highs on the S&P. So I think we're doing just fine. And those numbers that you mentioned, I don't dismiss them, but I think mostly they're noise. So you're going to have uh, Peter to contend with because I know that he doesn't uh, tie in the success of the stock market to the economy. Am I right, Peter? Well, I don't want to be too disagreeable, but um, I tend to find that the performance of the stock market, and particularly recently, has become detached in many parts of the world from the performance of the underlying economy. So while Barry's right in that um, you know, the, the, the U.S. market has done very, very well and is at new highs, I do wonder if that's because maybe, Barry, there are a number of distortions going on not least being caused by the the central banks and their you know their pump priming that's going on all over the world and and is you know allowing some of those distortions to take place well absolutely you won't get a disagreement from me on that one peter because as the previous uh, interlocutor was saying six years of zero interest rates i mean that is a distorting factor so yes we are in a post recession recovery. It's really done well, the markets, because of QE. That's starting to work maybe in Europe. So, you know, I don't dismiss what you say, but I think that the fundamentals are perhaps better than you suggest. Barry, with interest rates still at zero, what other tools does the Fed have to try and stimulate economic growth if it needs to, especially given that it's very difficult to get agreement uh, in Congress on fiscal policy? Well, that's for sure, Renita. You've got that right. But, you know, they don't have any more tools. Uh, They're pushing on a string. If you go to zero, 
you can maybe go negative like some of those European places. But that that's an alarm bell. That shows that you've really got a potential crisis. I think its principal tool is the pronouncements of the members of the Federal Open Market Committee, particularly Ms. Yellen and Deputy Chairman Stanley Fisher. And, you know, their comments are pretty optimistic. You know, they're not, they're not looking at um, problems ahead. In fact, their whole thrust is, when are we going to raise rates? And the whole world wants to know that. And we're worried by the implications, but that's not going to happen soon. Barry, is there any chance at all that if we don't see growth in the second quarter recover, that we could see a QE4? Oh, boy, that, uh, that would be disappointing, and I would have to um, eat humble pie if that comes to pass. Because, uh, yes, I know the first quarter was terrible, but the first quarter was terrible last year as well. I don't see another QE. I think that would have a uh, reverse effect, not do good. But look, I look at auto sales. Good heavens, we're at 17 million. That is takes us back before the recovery, uh, before the recession. So, you know, that's all the way back to 2006-07. Housing has recovered. Uh, equity prices, even if Peter thinks that may be distorted, I think that, that it builds confidence. And you mentioned the confidence numbers, but look, if you look at a trend line and you look at job growth, these are positive indicators. So the Fed, do you think it wants to raise interest rates? I mean, I get the impression that it certainly wants to give the idea that interest rates are going to rise. And it seems to have engineered a correction in the bond markets, even if it hasn't engineered a correction yet in the, um, in the equity markets. So how keen do you think they are to try and normalize rates? Well, I do think they want to normalize, but I think they don't want to derail the recovery. That's the fine line they walk. But in answer to Renita's question about tools, I don't think they've got any more tools except maybe QE and, and talking. They can't go lower on interest rates. That would be, I think, uh, that would send a signal of, of panic. But I just think that uh, things are getting slowly, slowly back to normal. And let's not dismiss the car market. And, and let's look again at this terrible thing we had on the West Coast with these with this slowdown in the ports. That's going to take a long time to work its way through. I think we're fine. All right, Barry. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Many thanks to Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, joining us on the phone from Washington, D.C. A quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up 0.11% to 19,754. Australia's ASX 200 is down 0.03% this morning to 5,728. And Seoul's Kospi up 0.06% to 2,107. In currencies, one euro is currently valued at 1.14 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 119.35 yen and one pound sterling will buy you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 19 cents. Having discussed for so long, we can finally get it. Of course we shouldn't stand still. Let's have one person, one vote to have a say in Hong Kong's future. A regime of universal suffrage that complies with the basic law. Five million voters electing the chief executive for the first time. I'm Carrie Lam. For our future, cherish this opportunity. Please support the universal suffrage proposal. 2017. Make it happen.
100 million US dollars. Financial conditions. Negatively impacted. The time is now 8.14 a.m. And let's return to our special theme today of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And welcome Fern Rai, who is the CEO of Community Business. Good morning, Fern. Good morning. So, Fern, Community Business has just launched the inaugural Hong Kong LGBT Workplace Inclusion Index, which provides a valuable benchmark for all companies committed to creating inclusive workplaces for LGBT employees in Hong Kong. Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about the specific parameters for this index and the criteria for inclusion? Yeah, yes, thank you, uh, Renita. Um, the structure of the index is based on um, a resource guide that we published in 2010, and it comprises some um, 22 uh, multiple choice questions which are structured around the following categories equal opportunity policy, diversity training, diversity structure, benefits corporate culture, market positioning, monitoring, and community and advocacy. So, Peter, you were at the award ceremony on Friday, were you not? Indeed, I was. And um, I sat with a number of the guests as the winners were announced. I spoke to Dr. York Chow, the chairman of the Equal Opportunities Commission in Hong Kong, And I started by asking him how important it was to have a measure of the commitment of companies to creating inclusive workplaces for LGBT employees in Hong Kong. Well, we always say Hong Kong is a uh, free society, an open society, a liberal society, but we do not actually have any measurement so far. So this is actually a first step to show that there are actually some measurement that we can actually take so that we can show that the particular employers can assess whether their company is doing the right thing or not. So this index is a, a new milestone for Hong Kong. I, I do hope that more um, companies would like to take this as a guideline and also as a way of benchmarking themselves uh, with other companies, both locally as well as internationally. And are employers in Hong Kong becoming more aware of issues of discrimination and harassment against LGBT people and taking steps to try and improve working conditions for them? Yeah. I think with the years of experience of the Equal Opportunity Commission, uh, we organize a lot of training for human resources managers. Um, and most of the participants were uh, managers from uh, bigger or international companies rather than uh, local SMEs. Uh, the small, medium-sized enterprises often say that they don't have actually enough uh, resources to do that or they don't have the, uh, the, the human resources or maybe even the expertise, particularly to establish their own company policies. So we appeal to them that if they need any help, they can always approach us. And, and this is also the, one of the reasons why that um, a campaign like this would be able to stimulate more interest, uh, both for the employers as well for the employees. Now, this initial workplace inclusion index has had 50 companies in Hong Kong apply. That's a very encouraging sign, isn't it, for the very first uh, year? Uh, first of all, I think it is very courageous for the organizer, particularly community business, to actually initiate this particular uh, award and, and index, and because it gives at least an encouragement and awareness uh, in a much wider scale. Um, of course, the 50 companies is, are, are usually big companies with well-established business. So, uh, of course, they are good role models for Hong Kong. But it does not mean that the smaller uh, the SMEs uh, actually are, are not able to achieve that, I'm sure. 
I think with the right attitude of the employer and also the owners of the companies, I'm sure they can actually achieve the same result. That's Dr. Yok Chow, Chairman of the Equal Opportunities Commission in Hong Kong. Peter, was there any focus on Friday on legal issues relating to dis- discrimination against the LGBT community? So, Anita, last week a landmark case was heard in the High Court of Hong Kong and the judgment, when it comes, will have a huge impact on gay couples and employers in Hong Kong. I spoke to Michael Vidler, who is the founder of of Vidler and Company Solicitors, who is representing the lesbian involved in that court challenge. I asked him to explain what that case was about and why it was so important. It's a challenge by um, a a lesbian um, to the decision by the Director of Immigration to refuse to recognise her same-sex civil partnership that she registered in the UK in 2011. Um, The the refusal to recognise that for for immigration purposes, um, such that uh, she uh, is denied residence, um, can't have an ID card, can't acquire permanent residence and can't enjoy the concession uh, that uh, heterosexual dependents enjoy, which is to work visa-free. Um, and we say, and we have argued, that this is um, well, naked discrimination uh, because the, um, the same doesn't apply for heterosexual couples. Um, their marriages are recognised and uh, they are given these benefits that uh, gay couples are not. There's a recognition that uh, Hong Kong has to be competitive in the employment market um, around the world. And, and to do so, to increase our competitiveness, um, we, we offer these, these incentives so that people want to come to Hong Kong to bring their spouses, so that their spouses don't feel you know, bored or separated and, uh, and they can engage in the community and they can, if needs be, reside here permanently at the end of the day and work. Big business has for many years been um, airing concerns about the fact that they're having difficulties in their recruitment and retention of staff, but those staff being uh, gay staff, because they found that you know, people don't want to come here one, if they know in advance that their spouses are going to be treated like second-class citizens. Uh, and so people end up just giving up and, and going home, and that has an effect on the business bottom line. That's Michael Vidler, founder of Vidler and Company Solicitors, talking about a landmark case for the lesbian and gay community in Hong Kong. So, Fern, can you tell us what categories you included for awards this year and also which company received the highest score in the 2015 Workplace Inclusion Index? Okay, so we, we uh, introduced a number of awards and, and um, we received 50 nominations for awards. So it, it shows that there's a lot of activity and, and a lot of in, inspiring activity actually in the business community. So the awards um, were LGBT Network Award, Inclusion Champion, Executive Sponsor, and Community Impact Award, which was sponsored by Goldman Sachs. And we introduced um, another award category, Trailblazer Award, that went to Stephen Golden for the work that he's been doing. He's been a pioneer in this area uh, for many, many years and has actually inspired and supported a lot of other organizations. Peter, you had a chance to talk with Stephen Golden, is that right? I did indeed. He was the winner, as Fern said, of the LGBT Trailblazer Award. This was a special one-off award to recognize an individual who has pioneered the way for LGBT inclusion in Hong Kong and inspired and supported others to follow. I started by asking him what he had done within Goldman Sachs to help improve working lives for the company's LGBT employees. 
Sure. So, so I moved to Hong Kong in 2008 uh, from London, and when I came here, I was trying to familiarize myself with the LGBT corporate landscape. And we had a, an LGBT network at Goldman Sachs from 2005, which was great and off to a good start. But compared to what I had seen in maybe Europe or the Americas, seemed very nascent. Uh, so, what I had done is I had worked really closely with organizations like Community Business to really talk about how can we change the shape of corporate Hong Kong with respect to LGBT um, within. Goldman Sachs, we had already been focused on this. We had made sure our policies were equal, uh, regardless of what your sexual orientation is. Uh, we did a full review of our benefits across Asia Pacific, just to make sure that that same-sex partners had the same benefits as uh, opposite-sex partners. Um, we then kind of worked closely to create what we call an ally strategy. Uh, when you look at diversity. Um, Rarely can a minority group make change on their own. You have to engage the majority. And when it comes to LGBT, it's uh, the phrase that's often used is allies. You identify people who believe strongly in the cause. They want to be a part of that change. Uh, and not surprisingly, in almost every country, there are a lot of younger people who want to be a part of that change. They want to be a part of changing the world. Uh, at Goldman Sachs, our senior leaders also want to be a part of that change. Many of them felt strongly that that if they could play even a small part in making change for our LGBT employees in Hong Kong and across Asia, they wanted to be a part of it. And is it difficult to find allies? Uh, at Goldman Sachs, no, not really. Actually, we have almost a line of people who want to be a part of it. And the challenge they face is not how do they sign up as an ally, but they ask what can they do? Because as an individual, as a straight individual, sometimes it's hard to identify what can I do. Uh, and uh, and so we can tell them, maybe start by joining the network, come to some of our events, uh, raise your awareness around LGBT topics. Uh, at Goldman Sachs, we have what we call LGBT ally tents. People can put these at their desk. Uh, and it says out loud, look, I'm an ally. So if you're LGBT or you have friends or coworkers who are LGBT and you're struggling with something, you can talk to me about that. So uh, let's bring in now another one of the winners. We're very pleased to welcome to Money for Nothing, Celine Tan from JP Morgan. Good morning, Celine. Good morning, Renita. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us on Money for Nothing. So, uh, Celine, JP Morgan won two awards. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you very much to Community Business for bringing the event together. Um, we won the um, LGBT Network of the Year as well as um, Executive Sponsor of the Year. So my senior executive sponsor, Lawrence Bailey, bagged that award, and we're very, very proud to, to be a part of the event and to have won. Excellent. So, of course, J.P. Morgan is a global firm which has, you know, of course, had a commitment to diversity and inclusion for many years now, including for its LGBT employees. So have you had to adapt your policies in order to take into account uh, local differences in Hong Kong? Well, in any business um, situation, we, we always make sure that we adapt and we integrate ourselves well into the business community. So to your question, as a global firm, we do have um, global policies and standards. So um, in 2014, we were very happy to make some revisions to our insurance, medical and leave benefits. And we did this by extending coverage to the LGBT partners of our, our colleagues and uh, we were very, very proud to be able to do so. Do you find, Celine, that cultural factors come into play in Hong Kong and you meet some resistance to being inclusive and welcoming to lesbian and gay employees? And if so, how, how do you deal with that? I think um, the, the context here is because I'm Singaporean Asian, so I, I think the cultural context for me is um, very similar. Uh, but being part of a global firm, I'm just proud to say that it's very meritocracy within the firm. So I do see a little bit of a cultural difference in terms of um, being vocal about certain issues and matters. But 
happy to say that at JP Morgan, you know, we are encouraged to share our views and opinions and everyone's views and opinions are respected. Celine, you know, we heard earlier from Michael Vidler about the challenge to the immigration department's refusal to recognize lawful marriages or civil partnerships of gay couples. How does this affect your ability as a company to recruit and retain the best talent? Well, Renita, to be honest, um, we, we want to respect the um, local jurisdiction which we operate in. So um, for, for the respect of that procedure, I shall not comment um, on, on current rulings and um, due diligence. I do want to, however, share that um, at JP Morgan and being a, a proud member of the family, you know, I've never faced any kind of discrimination. So I've indirectly just altered myself. Um, it, it's fantastic at the firm in the sense that we have now um, 619 members of our LGBT network. And um, it's always inclusive. It's always a great time in the firm. And everyone is open about talking about the issue. And I think that, you know, just based on the work we've done, you know, we've proven that. That's great. Fern, uh, what advice would you give to other companies who wish to make their workplace more diverse and welcoming to minority groups? You know, I think um, with this process, um, many companies have learned. I mean, we, we've had quite a wide spectrum of companies from small to very large companies um, submit uh, for this index. And it really, you know, speaks volumes about their commitment to diversity inclusion. So we will be issuing the report. People can download it. Um, In there, you'll see a number of recommendations against each one of those eight categories. But before we, we, and I just want to talk about the 10, the top 10 employers, which we announced on Friday, the top employer, Goldman Sachs, outstanding across all eight categories. The next one, HSBC, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Standard Chartered, Barclays, Nemora, ANZ, British Consulate General, and British Council. So, so the, those are the top 10, with the last two being tied for joint 10. Wow, that's quite a hefty list. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, that is Fern Ngai. She is the CEO of Community Business and Celine Tan of JP Morgan, and she's the co-chair of the JP Morgan uh, Pride Group. Thank you so much for joining us on Money for Nothing this morning. A quick look at the numbers now before we wrap up the show. Uh, the Nikkei is up uh, four-tenth of a percent this morning to 19,806. Um, Australia's ASX 200 index is up uh, 0.07% to 5,725, and Seoul's Kospi is uh, down 0.09% to 2,104. Gold currently stands at $1,222.50 per ounce, and Brent crude oil at $66.87. Well, Peter, here we are at the end of our Monday show. Uh, Can you uh, tell us briefly what you're expecting in the markets this week? I think probably actually in China a correction because these IPOs, around 20 of them that are coming, will um, probably drain some liquidity from the markets. I mean, they're going to take up 3 trillion yen of um, sort of investment. So maybe the secondary market will have a little bit of a, uh, a, a correction. All right, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Peter Lewis, founder of Peter Lewis Consulting and our guest host for this morning. And I'm Renita Malhotrahora, wrapping up for this morning's Money for Nothing. Let's take a quick look at the weather forecast for today, which will be mainly cloudy with a few showers, isolated thunderstorms at first. The maximum temperature will be about 30 degrees during the day. Currently, the temperature is 28 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 83%. Time for the half hour news summary with Sam Butler. 
Police in the southern U.S. state of Texas say nine people have been killed in a battle between rival motorbike gangs at a restaurant in the city of Waco. At least 16 others were taken to hospital after being shot or stabbed. Diners at the Twin Peaks Cafe said they and the staff had locked themselves in a freezer room for safety before being escorted off the premises by armed police. Sergeant W. Patrick Swanton of the Waco Police Department said the fight had escalated from fists and feet to chains, clubs, knives and then guns. He described the crime scene. I will tell you that in 34 years of law enforcement, this is the most violent crime scene that I have ever been involved in. There are dead people still there. There is blood everywhere. We will probably approach the number of 100 weapons that were recovered from individuals here at this biker fight. The Iraqi city of Ramadi is reported to have fallen to Islamic State militants following an intense battle. Iraqi officials say government troops have withdrawn and IS has declared victory. However, the United States has refused to confirm that Ramadi has changed hands, as the BBC's Regina Vijanathan reports from Washington. The Pentagon's yet to concede that Ramadi's fallen to Islamic State. A spokesperson told the BBC that the situation was contested, but that IS had the advantage. Officials here say the loss of Ramadi wouldn't be tactically significant to the US. If we lose it, that just means we'll have to take it back later, said one. But even so, it's an unwelcome setback for coalition forces. Just a day ago, American officials were celebrating the death of a key IS commander who'd been killed by US special forces on the ground in Syria. On the mainland,